As a leader of your company, you must stay up to date with your strategies and execution or risk obsolescence. Welcome to the Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. And now, here's your host, Jerry Purcell. It's the Finnovate Show, brought to you by Innovation 360 Group. I'm Jerry Purcell. Get ready to think about your biggest challenges and capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external consultants to fill knowledge and experience gaps or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. The Innovation 360 Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leadership from around the globe and cost-effectively makes it available to you. Get the insights, advice, and systems you need to succeed. Learn more at www.innovation360.com. Our guest today is Linda Tuck-Chapman. Linda is CEO of the Third Party Risk Institute. Her background includes chief procurement officer roles at three major North American banks and as a management consultant specializing in complex strategic sourcing and third-party risk management. Linda is widely recognized for her work helping organizations to develop and embed practices in this arena. On Thursday, July 28th, IT World is recognizing Linda as one of Canada's top women in cybersecurity. Very cool. The pandemic is still with us. And its impact on relationships and predictability, business resilience, costs, supply and demand, and the overall threat landscape continues to be significant. But where uncertainty exists, so does opportunity. Today, Linda and I will talk about what forward-thinking companies are doing to embrace modern risk and relationship management to strengthen their competitiveness and effectively manage their extended enterprise. Linda, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Jer. So let's start by casting our minds back to the old days, you know, pre-COVID. What was the lay of the land back then? Well, I think that when it came to third-party risk management, certainly in the financial services sector, there was a growing appreciation that there was business benefit. But I don't think any of us recognized what a wonderful, actually positive impact it would have on many companies' ability to ride the wave of uncertainty and to actually to have greater assurance as a resilience of their organizations. So it's kind of interesting, Jerry, because it felt, I think, to some organizations a little bit like a sort of a regulatory heavy hand. It is a very, very highly regulated area. In fact, in a financial services institution, they have an overall safety and soundness rating. And the M in the CAMELS rating, which is what it's called, is based on the management capabilities of the organization. And there are a few things that you can really measure the management capability specifically, but third party was deemed to be one of four primary areas, including audit and business resilience. And basically, when you step back and look at it, and succession planning. So when you step back and look at it, third party risk management was forced to the top of the agenda because regulators were concerned after the 2008 crisis but it's really proven to be such such a great benefit to organizations that I don't think we ever foresaw that. So then COVID hit. The pandemic has affected organizations from around the world. And how has it affected supply chain and third-party risk management? 
Well, I'd like to just differentiate between third-party risk management, you know, what does that really mean and where does supply chain fit in? Because these are all terms that get thrown around a little bit indiscriminately. So third parties are, they started out, the regulations and the focus uh, started out on vendors. So it expanded from there after the regulatory guidance came in in 2008 to talk about third parties. And that's the first time that term really started coming to the forefront. And anybody who's a practitioner or an expert, it took us a while to figure out what the heck does even a third party mean. But it's any business relationship that your company is in, as long as it's not a relationship as your customer. So that really opens up the floodgates for what a third party is. Now, the way that we've really tackled this is, A, to understand who the third parties are, what risk do they present, how are we going to mitigate those or, or have the third parties helped us do that through good controls, and then how do we manage to monitor the relationships. What's different about supply chain is, I, you know, I'm a services gal, right? I came out of financial services, and I understand services, complex services extremely well, and the risk element of it. Where I've had to stretch myself, Jerry, to learn is on supply chain. Because supply chain is all about supply and demand and the logistics of moving durable goods around, whether it's component parts or whether it's finished goods. And in certain sectors, that means, you know, in the financial services sector, that might mean servers and computers and furniture, which have never really been a concern to us before. But in, in other industries, I mean, supply and demand is such a huge, huge issue. So what we're facing now with the pandemic is that we all have to pay attention now to the supply chain, whether or not we're in manufacturing, consumer packaged goods, anything with a uh, some sort of production line, because now we're worried about being able to get even the basics hardware, you know, hardware and equipment is in short supply. So if I step back, I've got vendors right as part of third party. I have non-vendors, which could be a joint venture or a channel partner or at correspondent banking, et cetera. There's a lot of different types. And then we've got this whole thing around supply chain risk. And that's caused me to bring different language to the table. Yeah, uh, one of my clients, almost on the first day of the COVID situation, started to have to deal with offshore locations and the fact that they couldn't operate. And one wouldn't have thought of that as supply chain in the past, but it actually is. So it's a services supply chain, but it's a supply chain. It so, is. so what other kinds of of you know perceived risks and different kinds of things have changed as a result of this newest crisis that's affected us? Well, I think the biggie is really interesting. The UK has put out some really good guidance to their financial services sector talking about operational resilience. And being such a focus for me is looking at the resilience in your extended enterprise. I was really happy to see this guidance come out because it adds a dimension. So what we know is that you have to know the criticality of the third-party relationship and the activity that it supports, right? So what are you doing? What are they doing for you? And then we also need to know the exposure to risk. And there are many, many types of risks that we're exposed to. So how do we recognize them? How do we mitigate them, et cetera? But what I really like is it had occurred to me even before the pandemic hit, and certainly the pandemic brought it home for me, it's missing a dimension. Because when the pandemic hit, I talked to a lot of, I'm a risk management associations, uh, subject matter expert. So pretty well every FI in North America is a member. And so I run a roundtable, and when the pandemic hit, 
we usually meet twice a year. Well, we were meeting every week for 12 weeks <laughs> to talk about stuff. <laughs> right? I was like, okay, what should we talk about this time? Right? So just trying to get like what's going on, et cetera. But basically what was missing for me is, is listening to some of those executives saying, well, we're really paying attention to our top tier enterprise critical relationships. And I'm thinking that's probably not where the problem is going to lie. These are big, well-run companies. Right. So, so if you look at the regulatory guidance in the UK, which came out actually before COVID hit, it talks about the impact on revenue. And that's what we're missing today in our practices. The impact on revenue has to be a consideration because even some of those small relationships, if they're a choke point in your ability to deliver goods and services to your clients or to run your core services and internal operations, they're important. Right. We didn't pay much attention to them because they were kind of like lower down the tier, not as important, et cetera. And we've learned a lot. I think that basically it, we have to change our practices. And that's one of the biggest changes. I think that it really it needs to come now. So how has it changed the way that organizations look at their their risks and their supply chains? Well, I think the really great thing for it being such an avid practitioner, a third party, is that I think that the the importance of managing your extended enterprises finally landed, finally landed for just about everybody. They now kind of get it that, okay, so we're only so big. Our extended enterprise, which is all those third-party relationships, is us times, you know, a 10 or 20,000. You know, for a big bank, they could have thousands, tens of thousands of relationships. And that's what powers your company. So it, it, those who might have thought that, gosh, we're kind of doing this and we have to comply I think probably had the big crossover into, yeah, this is important. Let's figure out how to get on top of it. That That's music to my ears, and it should be to anybody who thinks this is important. I would imagine that there's some new and different kinds of risks that are represented in the whole move to work from home. Much more distributed technology and information flowing against perhaps not secure networks and that kind of stuff. What, what sort of things have you been experiencing with your clients in that space? Well, I'll look back to one of your early remarks about about offshore. The way that you structure your offshore relationship can certainly change the risk profile. So we know that it is, you know, there's there's often good labor arbitrage and very good practices in other countries. But what we found was with when the pandemic hit and people were suddenly working from home, although the facilities they would normally work in were highly secure, working from home is a big question. So that actually caused a lot of organizations to rethink their basically their service delivery strategy. So I'm not saying that they pulled work away necessarily, but certainly a number of companies repatriated some of the activities that included non-personal, non-public personal information, right? So the PII and PPI, they pulled those activities back and said they had to be in, in the domestic North American market. Right. So they may not have pulled them away from the third parties, but they certainly pulled them out of the, the geographies. We also saw companies really stepping up and being resilient. So when all the contact centers in the Philippines were shut down, companies like, you know, banks would they've already got people who were not able to go into branches who know the products well. Right. They know their customers. They know the products. They just had to teach them how to use the telephony for contact center. And they're, you know, they did a great job of moving along. But from a pure cyber risk perspective, 
you know, there, there really are grave concerns. Our contracts never contemplated work from home. We, most organizations didn't really have a forward view of how that was going to look with their clients working from home. And so what it really did was focused us to double down on things like endpoint security, you know, that last mile and access controls and, you know, reinforcing codes of conduct and, and clean desk policies and, and confidentiality. So there was certainly no assurance that those things were being well followed in, you know, if you're in a crowded place with other people trying to do their thing, multi-generations, sometimes it's very difficult to know whether or not the privacy was there. But organizations really stepped up to try and help their third parties step up and, and the third parties themselves, I, I really feel that it's improved our practices worldwide as a result. Yeah, I've I've got some clients that have been been touting their innovation, <laughs> and the the innovation is we put Zoom on a on a process. What yeah. what, uh, what sort of changes and innovations have you seen that is the most kind of intriguing to you, or most maybe surprising? No, that's a good question. I think that the innovations to deal with with the pandemic, I, I, I can't necessarily say, Jerry, that I've seen a ton of innovation that we would endorse. I mean. You know, Zoom is certainly early days was proven to be quite an, you know, quite a vulnerable platform. And in fact, I was on a Zoom conference a couple of weeks ago that was hacked and it was really shocking what, what we saw. And so it's still not entirely secure. So I, I can't say I've really seen a ton of good innovations except for the ability of risk professionals to step forward and really, really show their stuff. And have the organization behind them to let them do what they what they know how to do. So things like, you know, this endpoint security, sharing security and protocols with with their third parties, et cetera. That's what I really saw. But in terms of innovation, I, I honestly, I mean, I'm at a loss to give you a good answer on that one. <laughs> well, we've worked we've worked for a couple of banks, you and I, over the over the years, and I know as uh, we go through these phases or, or changes in the marketplace, that certain skills mm-hmm. become much more important. And I imagine that the the third party risk skills are coming to the fore, just like the commercial special accounts people all of a sudden become very important when there's a downturn okay. in the economy. Who's going to collect the money back? You know, sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, you know, and, and it's basically, I, I think that third-party risk management is starting to migrate into a profession unto itself, which is nice. But, you know, not all organizations are the same. I mean, they, they're they're different sizes and shapes. And because of that, they're organized so differently. So if you're in a smaller company, you have a chance to have a broader span of control. And if you're in a very large company, you become very, very specialized and so the trick is, can we take the best practices from both of those models and find a way for them to meet in the middle? So this morning I was on a long call, I guess in the U.S., uh, the regulators uh, for, in the financial services sector are trying to harmonize their guidance to financial institutions so that they're, they have one set of guidance for third party, which would really, really be a very, very helpful thing. Because if you have multiple regulators regulating the same thing in slightly different ways, it doesn't strengthen your perimeter as well. It brings it brings diverse thought, which is good, but it brings practices that can be confusing for organizations who are facing oversight by many, many regulators. Yeah, lots of overlaps and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. 
Your executive team routinely needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Imagine having a plan in place in 30 days to focus your innovation efforts, improve customer experience, accelerate your move to digitization, or increase speed to market. Our guide to accelerating your innovation agenda provides you with insights and time-saving resources to plan your path forward. Contact Jerry to book a quick call or for your complimentary copy at www.linkedin.com backslash in backslash Jerry Purcell. G-E-R-R-Y-P-U-R-C-E-L-L or email Jerry at jerry.persil at innovation360group.com. So what about clients? What sort of things do banks and their clients need to be thinking about and keeping track of as the world evolves? Well, I think that, you know, one of the things that I really encourage people to think about if they're in a company and they're on the, on the management side for these complex relationships you know, one of the things that people are always worried about is this notion of tight selling. But I've always, when I was in a corporate job, I was, you know, CPO and head of third-party risk. So I had a lot of insight into the relationships that, that the banks that I work for had. And I made it a practice to have a, you know, sort of customer as third-party program, a particular customer as, as supplier program in the companies where I worked. Because I think that you don't share specific information, certainly not about about credit or or business plans, et cetera. But having allowing your organization to see the, both sides of the relationship, and when you are interacting with a third party that's also a customer of your organization, it's actually a very healthy thing. As long as you don't make it a condition of of award that you're you're our client or threaten to delist them if you're going to leave. But I think that, that that comfortable coexistence of the of the the revenue and expense side of the organization is something that we should do more thoughtfully. Because if you have a large relationship with a third party as a client, and nobody in the third party risk or procurement organization understands that they're a client of your organization and that you have deep relationships all over the place, I think you're kind of shutting one eye and, and then tying at least one hand behind your back in the relationship management side of things. So that that's one change I'd, I'd like to see. And you can certainly do that without breaking the law and without even intending to have any wrongdoing. So what worries you the most? Well, it's the cyber attacks. That actually is the most worrisome thing right now, because in the past, the cyber attacks were against individual companies right? Whether it was ransomware or uh, attempt to breach. But what we're seeing, I think there probably were ones before SolarWinds, but we weren't as aware of them. But what's happening right now is that the attacks are against software companies that are widely used in many, many, many organizations. So SolarWinds, for example, was basically it was keys to the kingdom software, right? It was all about access rights and administration of access rights, and tens and tens of thousands of companies were using solar winds, and then they they uh, had malicious code that was in an update that nobody knew about, and that basically gave the bad guys a lot of access to companies that had good practices, but but didn't didn't do enough homework on their software providers. So we're seeing these types of attacks are have become the norm. 
And because of that, the, you know, the world feels a lot more unsafe right now until we find a way to to, to deal with this. Because what's happened, say, with solar winds is once they're in, they can change their permissions and their their profile inside of your system so they look legit. And that's why we don't know where these types of hacks are, are infiltrating because they're they're so well hidden. So there's some solutions coming up with that to try and spot them. But that's my biggest worry is that somehow or other, you know, all of the wrongdoing around cyber attacks and the pervasiveness of the attacks themselves so that they're, they're, they're actually able to access not just one company, but tens of thousands of companies with one successful hack is probably our greatest threat right now. So are you worried about another COVID wave? Well, I'm always worried about another COVID wave because uh, I'm supposed to be going to Florence, Italy with my husband, who's a sculptor in October. <laughs> and I really, really, really want to go. He's in the Florence Airbnb also, you know, but is there going to be another wave? I, I believe that we are, COVID is with us for much longer than we think. And it's a good thing we didn't know that in the beginning. But this Delta variant is apparently quite successful with people who have already had COVID, who are not vaccinated. And that, that's very problematic because of the unevenness of vaccinations in the world. And if, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a faraway country. I mean, we are a global society that's always on the move. And so if it's in one place, it's a matter of, you know, it's not, it's not if, it's when is it coming to you. So uh, we are so fortunate in basically being in a wealthy nation that I, I'm fully vaccinated. And I'm sure you are, too. I feel totally grateful for that. But I, I do worry about what's going to happen because these viruses are so – their only purpose is to, is to survive. So they mutate to survive. And because it's so hard to vaccinate the entire world, I, of course, there's going to be more waves because there's going to be more variants. So as a third-party risk advisor, what would you tell your clients – that we've learned as a, as a sort of an industry around the first sort of experience with COVID that we'd apply this time around? Gosh, you asked the best questions, Jerry. Oh, thank <laughs> so, you. <laughs> so I guess the first thing is really to appreciate your extended enterprise and to look at it through a different set of lenses. So one of the things that this working group that I'm involved with is going to hopefully have some influence on regulators is looking at some of the current practices and reallocating some of our scarce resources to better use. So one of the ones that easily comes to mind is, is looking at the recertification process. So we built ourselves these big engines to onboard third parties after doing extensive due diligence, which can take, you know, two or three months sometimes and a lot of cost and work effort. And then we backed ourselves into this recertification process where the more important the relationship, the more frequently you recertify. And the recertification process today is just put, put them through the same due deal again. So that makes no sense because these big companies are well-run. They're as well-run as many of the clients that they serve and better. So I think that it really if the, the notion of continuous monitoring where you can subscribe to services to alert you to things like cyber attacks on your third parties or changes to financial risk, financial ratings are what you need to know. And then look for the things that could bite you, right? There's out of all of the controls we look at, there are some that you would deem you if you were to rate the controls themselves, some of them you would rate very high impact if there's a deficiency and a risk event. 
access controls, perfect example. So there are others that are good to have in place, but the impact of a risk event would be much less if there is a deficiency in that control. So I think that, that stepping back and looking at your population, looking at the impact on business resilience and revenue, and then for the recertification process in particular, to look at just what matters if it's not there, our heaviest hitter in certain terms of controls, and then other things that might have changed and they forgot to tell you, like, gosh, we moved the service delivery location or we outsource something just to a fourth party, right? You want to know those things, but, or maybe we took your, you know, your, your superstar ops manager off your account. So look for the things that matter and stop going through this endless churn because it's killing us. It's killing, it, it's, it's blinding us to risk management because we're so bogged down with doing things that don't add a lot of value. So that's what I'd like to see change. That's what I, that's where I think for the next wave, we need to do a better job of reallocating our resources. So, in effect, do a risk assessment of our risk assessment process. In effect, <laughs> well, said. well said. Exactly. Like step back and say, what's the cost benefit of this? Right? Because I floated this idea to heads of third party risk, a number of them, and some of them I got the stock answer. No, that's what we have to do. I'm thinking, well, that's what I'm not. What I'm asking is, like, should we be doing this? Is yeah. this adding value? Nope, we got to do this. And others, like, what a great idea. It's in our policy. We have to do it. Well, who set the policy? I did. <laughs> yeah, totally heard that before. So let's look at our crystal ball a bit. What does they think the future looks like? What what kinds of things should we be thinking about? Well, I'd like to see even more cooperation. Somehow or other, we've convinced ourselves that our ability to identify, assess, manage, and control risk is a bit of a secret how we do it. So I'd like to see a few things happen. One is I'd like to have more open practices. And that could be led by organizations that exist today in different sectors or by, say, ISACA or, or you know, ISO or, or one of those organizations. Because right now, the information that's available to, to organizations is pretty scanty. So I wrote two books, right? I wrote, I wrote a book on the what and the, and the why which is third-party risk management driving enterprise value. And I have one being published in the fall by Institute for Internal Auditors, although it's really not for auditors. It will be as well. They can read it. But it's a practical guide. So it's third-party risk management, a practical guide to try and get under the covers around what, like how do you translate your principles into action? So how do you build strength in your organization? Because right now we still hold these things close to our chest. And we need to not just share them inside of our sector. We need to share them with other sectors and with our extended enterprise. Because you can't tell me that if somebody takes down the electrical grid, that's not going to affect us all. Right? So shouldn't we share our practices? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we we do a lot of work with organizations around uh, innovation capability. And one of the primary capabilities that differentiates a high performer from a low performer is what we call openness. And openness is in effect collaboration amongst uh, within the industry and a sharing of ideas and stuff like that. So it, it, it would absolutely be something that would add value, I think. Well, can I ask you, have, have you seen any innovation in third party that you think is, is something that we could adopt? <laughs> well, you know, you know, the answer is I'm the interviewer here. <laughs> okay. okay. I just thought, Josh, I'm always curious is there something out there that, that I haven't bumped into yet? Well, I don't know. Uh, so so I, I guess if we just expanded along this, that sort of openness discussion, absolutely. The sharing of uh, the ideas, the sharing of tools and techniques, 
even patents and things can can make a big difference because ultimately what happens is it improves them hmm. because you're gathering information. It's like I have clients who have invested millions of dollars in new products, but they never actually talk to a client, you know? And so, yeah. right, it's kind of the same thing. If you're going to build a risk management regimen, wouldn't it be kind of cool to talk to some other people about it and sort of build it out and, and make it better? And, you know, in an iterative way, you end up with a better end result. Well, and from a third-party perspective, they're being inundated. So you send out this due diligence questionnaires or however you're going to do it, and then basically they get not just all their new clients that they're trying to win business or be onboarded, but they have to keep pace with all of this avalanche of recertification process. And then during the pandemic, the number of almost every organization sent out surveys, right? So tell me this, that, and the other thing. So you multiply that by their client base, and then you multiply that by the sector, and you're saying, hey, isn't there a better way? Yeah. Right? So you know, I like to see more utilities come, come to the forefront, but I think the utilities need to be built in a way that organizations can consume the information, the output from due diligence into their environment because the risk profile and risk appetite for every organization is slightly different than the other. So if we could come up with some standards, what we're looking for, and, and, and let organizations absorb that into their technology, that, that would help a lot. But that's, there's a couple of attempts at this. They've been struggling. And so is there, is there a better mousetrap out there to do this? But I think the only way you can do it is actually is to have the due diligence results in a format that they can be absorbed into, into the risk profile and the risk tolerance of their clients. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which we should be able to do. Particularly if there's a standard kind of approach to things, kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what we, so one last question. Uh, what mm-hmm. we typically do is to end the the discussion is to offer advice to either newbie or or even experienced executives in the space about mm-hmm. about what they should be thinking about in today's uh, in today's world or maybe even going forward. Well. If your organization has not yet come to, if you at, is where you're sitting in your organization have not yet come to the, to the appreciation that your board and your seniors, your senior executive in your C-suite are interested in this, I think that that's probably a good place for people to start is, is to get a good handle on what the reaction is at the top of the house and how they can help. And when you are actually providing data or, to the senior executives, what you really need to do is turn it into information and it needs to be consumable. So to identify some deficiencies in your control environment or some, you know, serious risk exposures, no senior executives wants to get that information without a really good solid recommendation and a couple of options on how to address it. So that I think is, is, is one of the, that's one piece of advice. And the second is, you know, there's a lot of talk right now around concentration risk. That's, that's a big, big thing. And, so I, I'd also like to like just like to plant a seed that concentration risk is actually a, it's an information point. It's not it, it may represent different levels of risk, but it certainly by no means is something that you should avoid because there are some huge benefits in concentration. You just need to understand what you're signing up for and whether or not there's any mitigants that you can place against it. But to shy away from it and to come up with these strategies, which is undoing all that we did in sourcing and procurement all those years ago, 
makes makes limited sense. It's not going to add value to the company. So please do not recommend that you just disinvest some of your key third parties because you have a high concentration. Come up with a better answer. Yeah, I try to integrate five different kinds of uh, computers into one network. (laughs) (laughs) That would would create all kinds of other kinds of risks, I would think. So thank you. Thank you, Linda. So, So that wraps up this episode. And as always, I look forward to hearing thoughts from you, our listeners, about today's show. Please keep the conversation going. And if you like the show, tell your friends. And please take a minute to rate our show or post a comment. Go to www.innovation360.com or your favorite podcast site to find out more and to listen to more shows. But Linda, thanks for chatting with me. It was very, very informative. Okay. Well, thank you for inviting me, Jerry. I appreciate it. Stay safe and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Finnovate Show with Jerry Purcell. If you like the show, share it on your network and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can go to www.innovation360.com to listen to more shows, download the transcription from today's show, or to contact today's guest. This is The Finnovate Show, financial services innovators bringing you the future today. Today.